And welcome to Sovereign Grace Baptist Church. Today is a day in our nation and in our community that uh, is a day that many of us were not seeing two weeks ago, even a week ago. Uh, they, the way that things have shifted in our nation and in our world just in the matter of days has taken many people off guard. And today's passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 4 is a passage that was really planned and thought about long before the events of this week, but I am amazed at how God's providence directs these things. Even the songs that we sang today in worship are going to come right alongside what God is telling us today in His Word. We are in a time of, for many people, a time of darkness and despair and uncertainty, But the hope of the Christian is not that. Can we say amen? The hope of the Christian is that even in the midst of uncertainty, there is a light that directs us in the midst of the darkness, and that is our Savior, Jesus Christ. I do want to take some time toward the end of the service to actually focus our our attitudes and our minds in prayer. We have been asked to pray for our nation today not just at the highest level of leadership, but also our local leaders and even here in the Congress. We all agree our nation is in need of God's hand and he listens to his people pray. And so I want us to take some time today to pray for our nation, to pray for those in our community who are still recovering from the tragedies of last week, uh, to those we have many family members and friends who are affected by many events in the last couple of weeks. Let's pray for them. Let's pray for our congregation. Let's pray for our nation. Let's pray for God's protection in the midst of a dark time. Amen? Amen. But if you can with me, turn with, turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. And if you're able to stand, would you please do so in reverence for the reading of God's Word? Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. Now when he, speaking of Jesus, heard that John had been arrested... He withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness, have seen a great light." And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Will you pray with me? Father God Almighty, we thank you, Lord, for your word. These words in your scripture that Matthew has written by your hand and by your direction is is so relevant to us in this time today. We live in a dark time, and we've all known this for a while, but the events in the last two weeks, first the tornado that has hit our community, and now this week as things around the world with the pandemic of the coronavirus is causing many in this world to run to darkness. Lord, the words of your servant Matthew are reminding us that it is Jesus who comes out of the darkness. He is the light that directs us out of a dark place. 
And that is the hope that we are always looking to. That is the hope that we embrace. And so, God, I pray that today you would direct our hearts to open and to hear your word. I pray, God, that you would speak to us individually, that you would speak to us corporately. Dear God, that you would remind us exactly of the gospel that we claim to embrace. And Father, any who are hearing this today, who do not know your Son, Jesus Christ, who have yet to be redeemed, who have yet to be being made more, to be, to be born again, to be made new. I pray, God, that the words of your scriptures today would resonate in their souls in a way that they have never experienced before. Father, we thank you for the hope that you give us through Christ. And I pray, God, today that we would see through your hand that there is hope that Christ is our salvation, that he is our direction. Teach us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. God bless you guys. Please have a seat. Matthew chapter 4 has been a chapter that began with John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you remember that? Many weeks ago. How many months ago did we start Matthew chapter 4? Now we are coming to the end of this great chapter in the gospel of Matthew. And it's interesting how we see in the structure of how this is written that the beginning and the end of this chapter are kind of bookends. We see here that John the Baptist in John chapter 3 is beginning his ministry and then it it culminates in the baptism of Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 4, Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. We worked through those temptations, the the temptation of of testing Jesus' power as the Son of God, the, the temptation of Jesus tempting God and God's Word by throwing Himself off of the temple, and then the temptation of Jesus just being a spectacular show so that people would hear. And now we come to the end of Matthew chapter 4, and it is time for Jesus to begin His ministry. Now, the timing of this, I don't think, is to be taken lightly. The way that Matthew has presented this in his gospel is something to remind us that when Jesus begins his ministry, he is beginning his ministry, number one, out of prophecy from the prophets of old. This is a common theme throughout the gospel of Matthew, is that Jesus did not just show up on the scene unexpectedly. Jesus showed up on the scene as a fulfillment of the prophets of old. They proclaimed that this day would come. And Matthew's gospel helps us see clearly that what Jesus is doing is fulfillment of what God promised long ago. And through all of the various covenants that we see from the Old Testament up until this time of Jesus ushering in the new covenant, the final covenant through his blood, we see here that that Matthew is presenting Jesus here as the one to fulfill the prophecies of Isaiah in the midst of a dark and dreary time. Now what we see here in in verses 12 through 17 is that Jesus, he, he withdraws from Galilee. We know that verse 12, now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. 
Jesus was in, the, in and around uh, Nazareth. We see here in verse 13, he leaves Nazareth and he goes and he withdraws into Galilee, what, where Jesus was being baptized by uh, John the Baptist in the Jordan was when everyone in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas were coming out, and Jesus was in the wilderness for that those 40 days, and now he hears that John the Baptist is arrested. It's interesting that in this section of Matthew chapter 4, we see a parallel here between John the Baptist's ministry and what Jesus' ministry was going to end up like. Where John the Baptist proclaims the kingdom of heaven is at hand, Jesus is also going to proclaim the same thing. As John the Baptist is arrested, eventually Jesus himself will be arrested. I don't think that we can take this lightly that Matthew is showing a comparison here between the two men. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. Now, we we don't have the details here of what happened to John the Baptist, but we do know later in the Gospels that John was arrested and he eventually is beheaded at the order of Herod. So we understand here now that Matthew is almost giving us a little bit of a hint here of what is coming for Jesus the Savior. Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17, points out exactly what Jesus' ministry is about. We see here in verses 12 through 14, we see a geographical pattern as Jesus begins his ministry. We know that he was in the wilderness, which modeled the 40 years of wilderness that God's people had to go through in the exile. We know here in verses 12 through 14 that Jesus, as he withdraws into Galilee, and is, is, is really into, is, is intended to fulfill a prophecy by Isaiah. Verse 13, and leaving Nazareth, he went to live in Capernaum by the sea. We know that Jesus' ministry centered around Capernaum. We know that this became kind of his second hometown. It became the place where he called his disciples, and we'll look at that next week. We'll look at the, the idea or, or how Jesus calls his disciples away from their, their businesses and to into something grand and new. But look here in verse 13. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. This is not something to be taken lightly. Why is Matthew incorporating these two places? You see, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, that he quotes here in verses 15 through 16, Matthew is pointing to the prophecies of old for the Messiah to tie into the reality that when the Messiah comes, he is going to be a light in the darkness. How many of you have ever been in such a dark place that you could not see your hand in front of your face? Anybody ever been in that kind of a place? Anybody ever been down into a cave? Years ago, uh, one of my first places of ministry as a pastor to the churches was in southwest Virginia in a little town called Clintwood. We were there for four years. This was amongst the coal miners. Anybody ever been around coal miners? Anybody ever been from that, that tradition of coal mining? My family from East Tennessee and Southwest Virginia. That's where my lineage comes from. Uh, they knew coal mining. And if you've ever been down in the mines, trust me, that's a dark place. <laughs> it's dark, it's damp, it's dreary, it's dirty, it's nasty, it's cold. Darkness has things with it that we do not want. We, we're not drawn to the darkness by nature. 
And what is it that Matthew is reminding us here as Jesus is fulfilling the prophecies of Isaiah? Jesus is the light of the world and He is the hope for all people. This is what Matthew is proclaiming here in his gospel. If you'll turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9, let's take a look here at what Matthew is quoting. Because he's going to reference here uh, the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali for a reason. Jesus is coming out of this, re- of this region as a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 and 2 are actually paraphrased and quoted in Matthew chapter 4. So Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish in the former time. He brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. What is the prophet Isaiah telling us here in chapter 9? We have to understand chapter 9 in context to the previous chapters here in Isaiah's prophecy. We won't get into the depth of that this morning, but just as a summary here, Isaiah chapter 8 is a prophecy of coming gloom and doom, a prophecy of judgment where the Assyrians will invade and they will come and they will take God's people into captivity. I don't know about you, but we live in a pretty safe place, don't we? I think it would be, it would be beyond our comprehension that a foreign power would come in tomorrow and take over our homes and take our children and, and destroy our livelihoods. That would just be foreign concept to us. But this was a prophecy of God through Isaiah to the nation of Israel that God Himself in His sovereignty is using foreign powers, evil and darkness, for his purposes. And by the time we get to chapter 9 in Isaiah's prophecy, this now ushers in the beginning of the prophecy of the coming of the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, is the, is the verse that we read at Christmas time. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This prophecy is coming in the context of the prophecy of gloom and doom and darkness. More specifically in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 1, the prophecy specifically mentions the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and Matthew quotes the same in chapter 4 of his gospel. What is happening here in the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali? This is something that we can't ignore. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali were, were regions that were actually taken over by Gentiles. This promise was given particularly to Jews living in Galilee in an area where, that number one, was the was very far from the religious center of the city of Jerusalem. This was a prophecy given to people in the darkest outreaches, the outpost, if you will, away from the, the religious centers of Jerusalem. And this area became an area that, number one, became uh, dominated really by Gentiles rather than God's people. So you can imagine if you were raised into the tradition of God's people, 
Israel, with we are God's chosen and we are the ones that God loves the most, suddenly in your home region, you the whole place becomes this area that is just filled with pagans and Gentiles who do not know your God. That sound familiar to some of us as Christians? Are we, are we, do we bemoan and do we wail of the fact that Christian culture is no longer the dominant culture? Yeah, I hear it all the time. Things have radically shifted in our generation that we are no longer the dominant culture here. That it's the, the Gentile, pagan, worldly culture that has now taken over our communities taken over our media, taken over our world, and we as Christians are left in a dark whirlwind wondering what in the world has just happened. Does this relate? Yes. How many of us who do... And there may be some of you in this room right now, you may not know Jesus as your Savior. You may not even be someone who honestly claims to be a Christian, yet your world seems to be in such turmoil and upheaval that you just don't even know where the light is. The prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9 and Matthew's repeating of this in Matthew chapter 4 relates so much to the fact that we live in darkness. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, what is intended to be reminding of people who are in the midst of darkness and turmoil and chaos. In the midst of the whirlwind, we cannot see which direction is up. In the midst of the darkness, there is no light to lead us. If you've ever been in an area where there was not even a pin drop of light, how do you feel? You feel floating. You feel lost. You feel in a whirlwind. You have no idea which direction to go. You have no idea which direction to look. Can you imagine the despair and the discouragement, the feeling of abandonment and loss? You may be here in this room and you may be thinking, their pastor, uh, you don't understand what's going on in my world. People have abandoned me. People I have trusted left me. People that I thought that I could trust now have just tossed me to the out, to the wind. I have no idea what to do next. That's what the people in the land of Zebulun and the people in the land of Naphtali would have been like. They would have felt abandoned by God. They would have been abandoned and feeling like they were in the darkness because in Isaiah chapter 8, Verse 22, the last verse of Isaiah chapter 8, before it comes into chapter 9, read this verse. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Another translation, or they may be driven to darkness. You may have come from a, a time where your life was just peachy keen and rosy. Hopefully, all of us in this room have at least experienced that of love and affection and acceptance and security. If you've never experienced that, let me encourage you that in God's house amongst His people, that can be found. But even if you've only tasted just a, just a hint of that, and suddenly it's ripped away from you and you're thrust into darkness, you are driven into despair and anxiety, can you imagine how much deeper the despair and the anxiety is knowing that once you had security and safety and hope? It makes the dreariness and the darkness 
that much more overwhelming. That is what the context here is of Isaiah chapter 9. These words of warning of you will be sent into darkness and destruction lead into Isaiah chapter 9 verse 1 of actually words of consolation and hope. You see, the prophet here in Isaiah chapter 9 comforts those who are wretched and lost in the darkness that their darkness has some relief coming. These are words of consolation and hope. You see, Israel and Judah are in dire circumstances by this time because it was King Ahaz who rejects God in Isaiah chapter 7. And now God speaks of a greater king who will come, who will put things right here in chapter 9. No matter what has let us down, no matter what has disappointed us, no matter what has driven us into a state of despair and anxiety and fear, what we see here in God's Word is a gospel truth of hope and restoration Even though you may not taste it, you may not feel it, you may not see it, it is coming, it is here. Amen? Now that's a good amen time. The pastor needs that every now. Joe, you're my amen corner, brother. Isaiah reminds us that people walking in darkness will see a great light. God has determined to redeem His people, and He's going to do so through a future king that Isaiah is prophesying. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time He brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time He has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. That is what Matthew quotes in Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 13 through 16. So back here in Matthew chapter 4, let's try to see what it is that Matthew is trying to tell us here about the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus himself, remember, had to go through a, a brief season of darkness as he was tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. Now remember, he wasn't only tempted three times in those 40 days. (laughs) I'm just going to drive that home. I would imagine that in those 40 days and 40 nights, it was 24-7 of temptations and turmoil and, and, and just trying to pull Jesus away from the loving embrace of his Father. But now beginning in verse 12, of Matthew chapter 4. Matthew tells us that now is the time for Jesus to begin His ministry. He's going to do so as a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9. Beginning in verse 15. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. You see, these Jews who lived in darkness, these Jews who lived in this region of Zebulun and Naphtali, Jesus intentionally begins His ministry here. Notice this. Jesus intentionally 
begins his ministry here in the darkest of places that were known to be the darkest outpost of the region. These Jews, these people of God who were cast into outer darkness and surrounded by Gentile takeover. Notice, I want you to pay attention to this. Jesus begins his ministry with those who have been tossed to the outside. They have been surrounded and taken over by Gentile culture. This is where Jesus begins his ministry. That is the hope of the gospel. How is it that Jesus begins to work within us? Where is it in our personal lives that Jesus reaches down and meets us? He meets us in the darkest place that we are. He meets us in the middle of our pain and our suffering and our sin in the area of our lives where we feel the most abandoned and the most outcast. You paying attention to that, folks? This is the gospel. Jesus does not embrace and take us out of the happy place. In other words, we don't have to elevate ourselves to the happiest of places in order to touch the hand of God. God's hand reaches down in the midst of where we are, and through His Son, Jesus Christ, He comes into the very deepest, darkest place of where we are. No matter how, no matter how anxious we are, no matter how much we feel abandoned, that is where Christ shines the brightest. Because in the darkest of places is where the light is the most comforting. It is in the darkest places where the light of Christ is the most appealing. Amen? Because if you're in a dark place, you get scared pretty quick. I don't like the dark. I'm just, I just don't like it. Right? I'm just not somebody who, who lives in darkness. You can ask my lovely wife, Rhonda. Right? She likes nice, soft, dark places to relax and go to sleep. I'll do that when I go to sleep, but if I'm not ready to go to sleep, I want the lights on, right? Some, you know, some families, they, they wrestle over the thermostat. Ron and I, we have differences of opinion on whether the light should be on or not, right? I'm not saying my wife loves the darkness. My wife just, she just doesn't like bright light. Me personally, I like light. I like that. It's okay for me. Now, when I go to sleep, I want it totally dark, but that's when I go to sleep. But notice this, that in the darkness of our lives, this is where the light of Christ is the most warm and the most appealing and the most comforting. And this is how Jesus begins his ministry. Even here, it, it, even here, Matthew reminds us here that, it, that, that those in the dark are being introduced to the one who is the light of the world. Those in the dark are being introduced to the one who is the hope that they are striving for and longing for. Notice here as Jesus introduces the new covenant here. In verse 17 of Matthew chapter 4. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This new covenant that Jesus is now proclaiming is this kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth are 
being reconciled, repent, you kingdom of earth, because you have rejected the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is now here. The kingdom of heaven is now established here in the midst of the darkness of the darkness of the city of men on this earth. St. Augustine, in, in ancient times, he, he actually contrasts this kingdom of God, or the city of God versus the king, the city of man. And it is the city of man that is always portrayed as the dark place. And the city of God is this kingdom of heaven that shines bright and is alluring and is attractive. You notice? And so this proclamation of Jesus as he begins his ministry, he begins in Galilee, more particularly in Capernaum, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, the geographical area that Isaiah the prophet said, you are being cast into the darkness. But in the midst of that darkness, God is going to use that to proclaim his king, his son. He's going to usher in his gospel. Even though God himself is allowing and causing this region to go into darkness and despair because of foreign enemies that overtake it. Wow. Now, I don't know where you are today. I'm not certain how the events of the last two weeks have affected you personally. I'm not certain. I know some of the stories in our community and in our congregation. I've talked with everyone here. I know where we've come from. The events of the tornado, I'm sure, I'll be honest with you, I am still dealing with some of the emotional connections I had through the tornado. Through Even though our house was spared, we don't live on that end of town. There were several in our community, in our church, you went out and you ministered in the midst of the destruction and the darkness. I'm still dealing with some of that. Even yesterday I was hearing even more stories of 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 relief workers coming in and dealing with homeowners, and they were telling stories of the tragic night where the tornado, you know, it hit in the middle of the night. People were asleep in their beds. And those houses that survived became triage centers. These these living rooms in some of the houses in this part of our county that survived the tornado, their neighbors literally crawled from the destruction of their house into the safety of whatever structure they could find, and they were crawling with shrapnel sticking out of their bodies. That's memories of war, folks. I mean, I can't imagine having... I mean, that's going to take months and years to overcome that trauma. This week, as our world has radically shifted, everybody's plans for the future are now on hold until the world can figure out how to deal with the pandemic that is now upon us. My work schedules have now shifted. (laughs) Many people's work schedules have now shifted. Many students in schools now have to understand, okay, how are we going to finish out the academic year? We've got folks in our church right now, uh, two weeks ago you had a job and now all of a sudden your factory went on strike. Cummins. You realize that trying to plan our tomorrow, trying to plan our future, we may think that we have it all figured out, but things happen that are outside of our control that can 
drive us into an attitude of darkness and despair. And I think that's legitimate. Amen? Loved ones are lost. Health fails. Jobs go away. Schedules are uprooted. And we can go into an attitude of despair and darkness and feel abandoned. But the hope of the gospel is this. We are not left there. It is the hope of the gospel is that God who loves His people does not leave His people in a place of darkness and despair. And Jesus launching His ministry in this manner from this geographical location makes a very important point that we cannot ignore. Jesus began preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Really the same message that John the Baptist preached. In a geographical region that was known for darkness and despair. I don't think that is a coincidence. I think God, who is in control of all things, has a message to tell us today. The question is, are we hearing it? You know what? It's... uh, We all deal with depression. We all deal with anxiety. We all deal with times of upheaval and uncertainty, and that's part of living in a fallen world. But you know what? God who loves us brings us a message of hope through His Son, Jesus Christ, that in the middle of it, He promised in Isaiah that there would be hope. There is a king coming who is going to fix all of this, and Jesus is now coming on the scene and saying, the prophecy is now fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is here. Amen? Now that's the hope that we've got. Can we say amen to that? Amen. Amen. If you're in this room right now, and you know what? You can say, you know what, Pastor, that sounds great, but you know, my life is so messed up, there's no hope. Let me just tell you, (laughs) the gospel can rescue anything. I mean, if, if you're in a situation where you have no future and no hope, and you hear that Jesus Christ is that hope. Are you going to run to that or are you going to run away from it? I don't know about you, but if I, if I am so desperate that I'll, that I am hoping for and longing for some type of redemption and some type of hope, as the minute I see it, I want to grasp it. Now, the, the danger there is that if we're not discerning and thoughtful in, in what we are grabbing a hold of, we can grab hold of a false hope that is, uh, a, a mimic of Satan. So we have to be careful. But it is Jesus Christ who is the true hope and the true kingdom of heaven comes through Him. Amen. Here's how I want us to close today. We have been asked, all, all of the church, not just this particular church, but all the church has been asked to pray And I want us to close our time together in prayer. Is it possible to play some music uh, while we while we pray, either through music or musicians or tape, either one, some kind of meditative prayer? When it comes to prayer, let me let me encourage you. Here's how here's how Christians do that. (laughs) Number one, our attitudes and our mindset 
shifts from whatever it is that we're surrounded with into an attitude of focus on the throne of heaven. And one thing I always advise people when they're asking me, how do I pray? I say, well, one thing, it, one thing that helps is use the imagination that God has given you. He has given us an imagination for a reason so that we can imagine and picture what is unseen. And I don't know, I don't know of anyone in this room who has ever seen the throne of heaven personally. Have you? I've not. But I can imagine what it might be like. That's one way to start. But then that focuses our mind on God, that focuses our mind on the gospel through Jesus Christ, because all of these other things that are swirling around us are going to be distracting. My, my prayer, my, my encouragement for us at this moment is let's, let's intentionally focus our attitudes and our hearts on the throne of heaven. And let us pray for our nation. This is an intercessory prayer. Let's pray for our community. That's intercessory for our friends and our neighbors. And let's pray for God's protection and let's pray for God's love and let's pray for God's direction in the midst of this, for many people, a dark and uncertain time. Because that's the hope of the Christian. That's one of the reasons we're gathering here together to worship today. We're not running away from each other. We're running to each other. Amen? Amen? I want us to be, I, I, I want us to close in prayer. I want to start us in prayer, but anyone in this room, anyone in this room who feels like they want to pray, I, I want us to all be one, in one mind and heart as God's people today. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God Almighty, we thank you that your Son, Jesus Christ, came in the midst of darkness and despair to shine a light that could not be avoided and to announce boldly that the kingdom of heaven is now here. And so God, right now at this moment, as we close our time of worship, Father God, I pray that you would draw our spirits away from whatever low and dark place that they may be to a height of hope and comfort. I pray, God, that you would console our community with your love as we have been dealing with tragedy and loss of life and loss of property and loss of just living. I pray for our nation. I pray for our, our world. As so many who do not know the light of Christ are now running in fear and anxiety, God, I pray that at this hour and at this moment, the light of your gospel through your church would be that light that all who are in darkness would see and they would run to? Lord, we can't do this without you. And this is why I think you allow us to be in this position where we have no other choice but to look up to you and to reach up to you and touch your hand as you are reaching down to us. We thank you, God. Please love us with your presence 
please forgive us for our doubts. And please redeem a lost and dark world. We thank you, Father. Anyone else who wishes to pray, you may do so. Lord, we set our, our minds on things above right now and not on the things of this earth. Yes, God. We ask your Holy Spirit to just minister to each of us in this room the needs that we have, the desires, the pain, the suffering, the doubts, the fears. We're just bringing your healing. And Lord, we lift our nation to you. And we ask these government leaders, our president, all that he's put together, you give them divine wisdom. There's Christians surrounding our president. We ask, Father, that you would use those believers that you have strategically placed in our government. That you would pour your wisdom through them. They would make wise decisions, regardless of the opposition, because there will be. We're in a fight. We're in a spiritual battle. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom, too, to pray for them effectively, to intercede for them, our nation, our leaders, even in this county and in this town and in this city. We have a mayor who is a believer. Yes, God. Lift him up, Ricky. And ask you would continue to use him and guide him and protect him. Yes, God. Father, we don't understand the tornado. We don't understand the, the reasoning behind all of that. We just see it as an earthly disaster. Give us your heavenly perspective. I'm sure there are stories of salvation that have yes. come out of this and that you have used it in a very significant way in many, many, many lives that we don't even know about. Father, we lift those people up to you, those that have lost life, the grief they're, they're experiencing, the sense of loss. Father, I pray that, that you move into that darkness as you have shown us in your word today where you went into the darkness. Father, mm -hmm. help us to move toward the darkness and bring the light that's in us. Amen, Father God. Jesus. Mm -hmm. Continue to use this congregation past you've drawn people in here today father just minister to us yes god you see more of who you are in our own personal lives and in our homes we love you jesus in christ's name amen father we come to you this morning with a thankful heart yes god that you have allowed this to be with you Thank you. 
God in heaven, we, we thank you for being who you are, what you have already done. I pray for this community, this, this state, this nation. Your sign, your sun shines brightest in the darkest places. Your stars shine bright at night. Father, we have so many people that are running through this darkness not knowing where to go, scared, in despair, no hope. Father, I pray that you raise up people from our community, state, nation, yes, that have the light of Christ in them. Send them alongside these people to share the light of Christ Victory is only found at the cross, Father. Amen. I pray for these people I pray for everybody, every day. That the light of Christ shines in our heart. Their darkness lifts from their eyes. And they see and taste the goodness of God. Mm-hmm. Only then would they have hope. Only then would they have direction. Father, be with us as we leave here today. Yes, God. Allow us to be the beautiful feet that share the good news. Mm-hmm. Use us to bring your kingdom to yourself. Yes, God. Father, I thank you for sending your son. I thank you for the wonderful plan of redemption. You did not have to, but because of your great love for your son, your spirit. You have abounded your love towards us in giving us hope in your son, Jesus Christ. And it's his name I pray. Amen. Dear Father God, we, we close our time in prayer. Grateful, Father, that through your love and your mercy, you never leave us in a place of despair and darkness. You come to us and call us and draw us to you. And for that, Father God, we're grateful. Remind us, Father, of where our hope lies. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.